what does the GOP debate tell us about what to watch out for in the election year ahead? I'm Monica Perez, and this is today's Deep Dive. Well, I gotta say, it has been a while. I haven't done a deep dive since May. I basically took the summer off to move into a new house to get my kids off to college. I know I have to defend that, but I'm a libertarian. I let them make their own choices. And uh, so I felt like I should get back in the saddle with something easy. So I noticed there was a second GOP debate yesterday, and uh, I thought, well, let's look at Let's look at the, what the candidates are right now and what the issues are right now and see if what we're, you know, see what to expect, what they're setting us up to expect over the next election year, what they want us to focus on. And I also, you know, I think of this stuff as a play, like a real honest-to-goodness play. So when I, when I think about what to you know, how to evaluate it. I don't think, like, who is making the most sense or whatever. I think, like, are they giving people layups? I mean, are they all on the same page on some topics? Are there some things that the GOP is like, okay, this is what we stand for? And I think I discovered some of these things. They have us focus on some issues and not others. They phrase them in certain ways. They couch them in certain ways. So I thought we would just take, uh, like, an overview of what this went, how it went down, and nothing too deep, but... You know, let's see what we what we think now, and then maybe we'll revisit it like a year from now and see how it all shook out. So the most so Donald Trump was not on the stage, the uh, which earned him the little funny uh, by Chris Christie called him Donald Duck because he ducked the hard debate. Anyway, but the most recent poll I read, which is not undisputed, but it's that Trump would beat Biden by 10%. And forget about it. If you actually look against the Republican candidates, whatever reason, I've really been checked out over the summer, so I don't know how or why DeSantis blew himself up, but Trump is leading him by like 43 points, and he is like the closest competitor to Trump. So it looks like Trump would be a shoe-in for the primary, a shoe-in uh, against Biden, then you have to worry about the third party thing and would Robert F. Kennedy Jr. screw up Trump's chances or Biden's or what, yada, yada, yada. But we're not focusing on that right now. But I am just saying, you know, it is kind of funny, like when they were at, they keep Trump in the news, they give him this witch hunt, they give him this victim status, and there you go. Uh, it seems to have backfired. You would think these sophisticated politicians at the highest levels of power, like, Potential, potentially the highest levels in human history would know better than to give uh, Trump this opportunity. But whatever, this seems to be backfiring if they are what they, or if they're trying to do what they say they're trying to do. Anyway, okay, so who, you know, and, and why am I even interested in this? Because we do, you know, I've been out of the loop for like the whole summer and it's kind of hard to pick the thread up. And what, you know, who is, care? who are the torchbearers? And what are the issues they want us to focus on? It is important, and it's hard to catch up. So I, I wanted to get back into the, you know, mindset of, like, what's actually going on on the front pages. Um, and I just thought this would be a good way to do that. So who was on the stage? Seven people were on the stage. 
Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. So I'll tell you a little bit about, if you're like me and completely out of the loop, don't remember who these people are, their claim to fame or whatever, I'm going to give you just like a one-sentence thing straight out of whatever, Wikipedia, to say who are these people. And, okay, so Florida Governor Rick DeSantis, um, he is was born in Jacksonville. He's the governor of Florida, right? So he spent most of his childhood there. He has quite the story. He graduated from Yale and Harvard. So he's Yale undergrad and Harvard Law School. He joined the Navy in 2004. He was the legal advisor. So I think he was a JAG, a judge attorney general, judge advocate general. Is that a Navy thing? I can't remember. But anyway, he was the legal advisor to SEAL Team 1, and I think he might have been a Navy SEAL. It didn't say that um, in the blurb I read. But anyway, he was stationed at Joint Task Force Guantanamo in 2006 and was deployed to Iraq in 2007. And I just feel like this guy is a fed. <laughs> He's just a fed. But that doesn't mean, you know, who is it, right? So it doesn't mean that if we had to choose a president— I wouldn't choose the one who, like, seems to be the best at doing stuff. So he, Florida seems to be quite the success story. Whether they let him do this or if it was his own initiative, they did seem to handle COVID better than other places. And, uh, you know, and for me, I always feel like the person they feel like they have to give you is a good sign or a bad sign. So Ron Paul won Iowa in 2012. Never forget that. Ron Paul won Iowa in 2012. So to the extent you think that the votes are for uh, picking the people's choice, that is your answer to that one. But he did win Iowa in 2012. And uh, and because of that, I think that they felt like they had to really pull back on what they were giving the disgruntled Republicans. So they took the anger and the zeitgeist of Ron Paul, in my opinion, and they gave it to Donald Trump and just redirected him into being, like, combative or whatever. I've said this before. I think I'm, I'm going to try to not repeat myself because this isn't the radio. Like, you repeat yourself on the radio because people are tuning in and tuning out. So I will try to, like, not say things you've heard me say before. Uh, but that is, you know, it is relevant to this discussion. So um, that brings me to the successful entrepreneur and reported to be almost a billionaire. I'm not sure I believe that. Vivek Ramaswamy, who I think is being the Trump candidate this time around. And I'm not just saying that because he's the one my mother likes. <laughs> She's a big Trump supporter. But because he says things that are like, kind of tactless and a little too harsh. And um, he said, victimhood is a choice. And that that kind of stuff makes you kind of sound like a jerk. I'm not saying that like a hardline conservative viewpoint on culture and incentives isn't correct. I mean, I'm not sure, but I like, I think that way. I'm a bootstrapper. But when you say stuff like that, you sound like a jerk. So this guy is this young, I, I think he's of Indian descent. Yes, he's um, born in Cincinnati to immigrant Indian immigrant parents. And when you have that kind of person of color thing, or as they call it, person of Indian origin, I think they call it in England, then, you know, you might feel like, and I think you probably can get away with some less sensitive things without the kind of um, judgment that you might have if you're just like some somebody else from Cincinnati. And I feel like this is kind of a setup. It's just kind of a setup to be combative, to not to not be sensitive about how you talk. That's just my feeling about this guy. He's very smooth. He's obviously very, very well-trained. 
Um, he was born in Cincinnati, but he went to Harvard and he had a degree in biology. He went to Yale Law School, which is really the show. So DeSantis had it flipped. He went to Yale undergrad and Harvard Law School. Like, I, Yale Law School is really where they groom, you know, very select number of people who are going to influence the world. So I'm not saying he's in on that, but I'm not saying he's not. <laughs> anyway, so we'll keep an eye on him. The next was the former South Carolina governor uh, and UN ambassador, which really lost me because Nikki Haley. And even though my mom says I look like her or she looks like me, whatever, um, her whole stint in the UN was very warmongery. <laughs> so I'm not a fan. But I have to say, by the end of it, I was just like, wow, she really knows her stuff. She's obviously smart. She can remember these things. She understands these issues. She's been in positions. I mean, like, I was really, like, wow, impressed by her. But I also noticed that they were giving her the questions and giving her the layups. And even at one point when Rick DeSantis was strutting about his military experience, Dana was like, well, Nikki's husband is in the military right now, is serving in the military. You know, I guess that means she's a military family and that's supposed to get her that kind of cred. I don't know, but they seem to be promoting her. And maybe it is the year of someone of Indian descent, like the coup that happened with Rishi Sunak in, in UK. I don't know, but uh, Nikki Haley was... Um, she is, see now in her wiki thing, it said she was an Indian American politician. I kind of feel like that could be a Native American, but she was born in Bamberg, Bamberg County Hospital in Bamberg, South Carolina. So she was uh, born to Indian Sikh parents. Okay, Tim Scott, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, um, an American businessman and politician serving as the junior U.S. Senator from South Carolina since 2013 when Nikki Haley who was then governor, appointed him to fill a vacancy. He retained the seat after winning a special election in 2014 and was elected to a full term in 2016 and re-elected in 2022. He became the first African-American senator to be elected from the Southern United States since the, Recon excuse me, from the Reconstruction era. <laughs> he did okay. He went at it with Nikki Haley, but now when I read that he was like her appointee, I thought, oh, well. <laughs> All the world's a stage, especially that stage was a stage. Uh, so former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, he uh, is an American politician and former federal prosecutor who served as the 55th governor of New Jersey from 2010 to 2018. Uh, and he was the U.S. attorney for New Jersey from 2002 to 2008 in the wake of uh, 9-11. And I kind of wonder if he was the one who was presiding over the prosecution of Jared Kushner's father, which did happen there and then. I'm not 100% sure about that. Might be worth looking into. All right. Uh, former VP and Indiana Governor Mike Pence, next on the stage. He is an American politician. I think he also had a radio show, but he was VP, as you know, under Trump. He uh, was the governor of Indiana, and he was a congressman for 12 years. Um, he's a little too stiff, polished. I don't know. Whatever. All right. Um, then this guy I never, ever heard of before, richest or second richest governor in the country, or like in history or something, North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum. Now, he is a, uh, he was a businessman, and he, the reason he was so rich 
is that he was the president of Great Plains Software, which he sold to Microsoft in 2001 for over a billion dollars in 2001. So when they say he's worth a billion now, I wonder how much of that company he owned because that's a lot of, you know, if you had your money in the stock market for the last 20 years, I think he'd be worth more than where you were when, when you started. <laughs> Especially if you started with a billion dollars. Anyway, all right. So those are our seven candidates. Meet the candidates. And now let's talk about the issues. So I'm not going to deep dive on any specific thing. This is just setting the stage for many subsequent shows. Perhaps I will deep dive on every single one of these issues, but I had to resist the urge <laughs> to dive into them because what happens is I'll just go off on this tangent and it'll be, you know, whatever, the middle of the night and I still won't have a show. So uh, let's just hit the top 10 issues that were on the list that they asked questions about. Uh, not in like order of importance, but just what kind of flowed in my mind was the first thing let's just hit, even though it wasn't their first thing, foreign affairs, let's call it. China, Russia, Ukraine. I will say there were very hawkish murmurings from Haley, Christie, Pence, and also I was disappointed to see Burgum because he was saying some stuff that was like traditional sound economics there for a while until he said, like, the president is the CEO. And then I was just like, uh, boo. <laughs> like, we don't live in a technocracy. No, no, no. Um Tim Scott did not seem super hawkish. He was saying things like, instead of, we need to invade Ukraine or we need to win this war because, um, well, what Chris Christie said and Mike Pence both said is that if we let Russia win invading Ukraine, and I don't know what their, you know, take Crimea, which is definitely theirs, Russia's already, um, and rightfully so, if you've listened to my stuff, uh, that China will take Taiwan. And I know they don't want China to take Taiwan. To the extent they're at, on that level of the chessboard right now, Taiwan's where all those super-duper-duper superconductors are, semiconductors. They're really the ones that will, you know, uh, be the guidance system of Star Wars or whatever. That's in Taiwan. So unless these guys are in bed with China, they don't want Taiwan in the hands of China. So they're using this as an excuse, but there is absolutely no excuse for us to be involved in the Ukraine conflict, except for the fact that we were the ones who initiated it in the first place with the coup that we uh, made happen in 2013 and 2014. So Tim Scott, um, you know, whatever, didn't seem too hawkish. He just wants to degrade Russia's military. And then Vivek and DeSantis did not say anything about it. I think that I recall really too much, but I do remember hearing along the way that they didn't just constantly say, like, we need World War III <laughs> over Ukraine. So they've been slapped down for that. I don't know. I think DeSantis kind of backpedaled, but Ramaswamy doesn't, I don't, I think he still kind of says, like, we don't need to fight that war. I don't know. They didn't say much about it in the debate, those guys. All right, another thing that they were talking about, number two, I'm going to say, is energy independence. And Vivek says he wants fracking back, and I'm not so sure that's a good idea. I don't know. I think they were having, like, earthquakes in, in Ohio, so he should, of all people, be a little cautious about fracking. Um, oh, and another thing he did was he threw out 
a couple of phrases, like when I was saying kind of like he's a little tactless, there are a couple of phrases that I don't love. One is American exceptionalism. I actually hate that one because what what is it an exception to? Like, think about it. It's not American extraordinariness. It's American exceptionalism. And what they mean is, from what I can tell, what they mean is America has a past when it comes to recognizing and respecting the sovereignty of other nations, that we are the exception to the law of nations. That's really what I think they mean, because they use it to justify invading other countries. So he brought that up. And he also says America first. And although... I the America firsters in in between the wars, I think we're right. Like we did not, it was those were not our wars, World War I and World War II. They were ginned up, I would say, by English elites behind the scenes. Um, but regardless, the American first thing, America first thing was uh, a valid rallying cry. Except for that, it got hijacked. To mean, and maybe some people who were involved in it were either set up to discredit it or really were wrong or whatever, really meant what they were saying. But to the extent that it came to represent Nazi sympathy, because it represented people who were against stopping the Nazis, America first is a tainted expression. So I didn't like it when Trump resurrected it. I didn't think it was good politics, and I don't think it's good when this guy does it. And then when he says that people don't crawl all over him, but if you're going to say it, like, you know, on the line in the grocery store, it, it you might not seem as cool as this guy. <laughs> you know? I, don't know. I could be wrong about that. Trump might have washed the taint off of that. All right, number three, immigration and drug enforcement. I'm counting that as the same thing because apparently it's totally merged now, which is the topic of the day is fentanyl. Fentanyl coming across the border from Mexico, and it's making some of these people say that they want to go into Mexico and take out the cartels. I think DeSantis might have said that. Uh, he wasn't the only one. Nikki Haley said she wants to send in special operations, and all of this sounds like it really— it does a few things for me. One is it kind of explains what the fentanyl thing was all about. So the fentanyl thing like emerged in, I think, 2014. And I, I believe it was intentional. It looked like a, it was setting us up for something. I didn't know what. And it could have been this. Like it definitely can take eight to 10 years for a PSYOP to unfold or like a, an operation to unfold. If they want to use fentanyl as a reason to go into Mexico, to control Mexico, to exert regional hegemony. So we went over to the Middle East and inserted ourselves over there under the same kind of auspices. Like, they have no control over their terrorists. And if they can't keep them out of our country, we get to go over there and police your country, ourselves. Like, that's the kind of rhetoric this sounds like to me. But that also feeds into this idea I've had since, since um, Biden took office, which is that he's resurrecting regional hegemony, like kind of making way for the multipolar world order so that we're not going to be a bipolar world, us and Russia or whatever. We're going to allow different regional hegemons. Um, and a hegemon is like the dominant power in that region. And there's never really been a world hegemon. I think we've tried to be that, but we definitely are not dominating China right now. So we're not the world hegemon. Um, but I think we might you know, be backing off a little bit on that aspiration and just wanting to, and, and, you know, I've talked about this in the past too, about how it seems like they're, 
they may be like all the, even the green energy stuff may be saying, you know what, Russia has and China and the Middle East have that domination of energy. We could just walk away, cordon off, like have an economic block that excludes them. And at least we get to monopolize our own people. If we still have free trade and we're losing, we are going to be, you know, economically colonized. So it's possible that this whole regionalization is part of that. I also think um, um, with immigration, when they talk about like Dana Perino, who was one of the moderators here, said she asked them what they thought about aid to South American countries or Latin American countries in order to address the root problems, the root causes of immigration. That's actually a Democrat thing. Maybe it's an everybody thing, but I am staunchly opposed to that 100% because we use foreign aid to control other countries. And the reason the root causes of immigration is probably our interference in those countries in the first place, from dropping bombs to um, trade barriers or picking winners and losers in the trade wars, economic manipulation, interfering with elections, all of that stuff. So the root causes aren't we're not solving that by putting more money into those countries. We might be solving that by pulling our money out of those countries. And they use that root cause thing to justify trying to set up American businesses there to compete with the native businesses, which I don't really mind, except for that we're subsidizing it. We're, our government is subsidizing our corporations to interfere with those their economies, not the way to... I don't think that's the, the right way to solve the immigration problem. It might be a way to make a North American union with no borders at all, um, and the problem with that is that the way it's written by William Weld and the CFR and Heidi Cruz is that the country with the most restrictive laws on labor, environment, all of that stuff will be the country who gets to those laws are the ones that will be adopted. <laughs> you know, like it's it's not a good thing. We do not want a North American Union. And that's what I feel like that this a lot of this stuff might be pushing into that. Tim Scott said he wanted to freeze cartel assets, which I also think is like an act of war and very dangerous because who's to say, and that can be politicized, but at least he doesn't want to invade Mexico. <laughs> anyway, this all leads to the fourth one, which is crime, law and order, cops, and crime is on the rise. And I've been talking about this for literally a decade. In the 90s, between Clinton and Newt Gingrich, and I don't know how it all came about, but Crime absolutely plummeted for the longest time. I mean, crime is not a problem in this country. It took them so much effort. It's kind of like trying to get <laughs> inflation going. They had to do COVID <laughs> just to get the interest rates back up, in my opinion. One of the reasons. Uh, they had to, like, cause riots, defund the police. Like, they had to, like, make a massive resistance to any kind of <laughs> legal activity whatsoever and of course, as an anarchist, I could deal with that if it weren't if the government didn't have a monopoly on the use of force, because then they're just abdicating and there's a vacuum. So they they finally did, I believe, gin up some crime. And now we have, especially in the cities that that are leading the charge, the the Soros prosecutors, as DeSantis referred to. Uh, maybe there is a plea shortage. Everyone seems to agree with that. Uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, that crime is now back on the board as a big national issue. And one thing Pence said, which I thought was, like, crazy, because he said it in the same sentence as something that completely contradicted it. He said he wants a federal expedited death penalty law for mass shooters so that they get put to death within months, not years. Crime is in the purview of the states. In my opinion, the FBI is totally unconstitutional. Totally. And... uh 
federal, there's like treason and counterfeiting, I think, are the only federal crimes. No, no, no. I mean, I'm not saying that they are, but that's constitutionally speaking, that's the only way I recognize. In the same answer that he was giving on that, he went off on how he wanted to federalize the United States again. He wanted to restore the 10th Amendment, I think. He said something like that, where he wanted to push like healthcare, everything back to the states. He did not want the federal, he wanted to make it decentralized, smaller. At the same time, he's talking about like the most obviously unconstitutional thing that was mentioned in the entire debate, in my opinion. So, uh, you know, calling BS on, uh, on the former VP. Oh, I'm only including number five, gun violence, because I was mega-triggered, mega-triggered. So they had the Univision lady there to ask the question. She was a reporter. I don't know her. I did not recognize her name. She was a little difficult to understand, which I found to be a little on purpose, but whatever. So I didn't know her. I don't know her name. But I didn't even look it up because she didn't deserve it after she said, I think this is what she said. I think she was talking to him back. This is part of her question. Mental health problems are not unique to the United States, but gun violence is. Gun violence is unique to the United States. This is the chick who works for Univision. I assume that many people who watch, <laughs> that the target audience of Univision includes a lot of Mexicans. <laughs> and I think you know where I'm going with this. There's plenty of gun violence in Mexico. And no, it is not because of us, <laughs> okay? They have drug, con they have gun control laws, so that was just boo. There are 37,000 gun deaths in the United States every year, or recent, in recent years, 22,000 in Mexico, so almost two-thirds of the amount of gun deaths, and Mexico has a population one-third, roughly, of the United States. So we, I don't know, if I'm doing the math right, it's like twice as many per capita and they have super strict gun laws, and um, that's gun violence. So, number six, labor strikes, unions, wages. This stuff is all kind of blurring together, but um, just a few highlights from what the answers were. Penn said he wanted a right to work to go federal. Again, that is not in keeping with the Constitution. However, I remember in Texas, when I lived there, it was a right-to-work state, and people were very, very happy with that. I think people were. And, and I absolutely smell such a rat, and I've been talking about this. It's going on years now. Why is there labor unrest? Why are there? This was happening before inflation way outpaced wages. This is definitely set up. I want to talk to Courtney about that. Uh, Courtney Turner, because I'm sure it has something to do with Tavistock. I want to talk to Anthony Raimondo. My lawyer friend who has was a labor lawyer, he will absolutely crack the code for us, but I smell a rat Worldwide labor unrest predating inflation, okay? So uh, Christie says the teachers' unions are the biggest problem and Biden is sleeping with one. Uh, he also kind of didn't say it, but he was implying don't be a Luddite, which is like the people who didn't, the seamstresses who didn't want sewing machines. He said, embrace AI and retrain Americans. Again, like, where are the traditional conservatives when you need them? We don't, this isn't a business. We don't need to retrain them. The problem was what, that we took tax dollars and invested in tech research that would not have been done in a free market where labor and capital investment clear. 
You would not have voice-to-text that Siri, the Stanford Research Institute, heavily subsidized by the U.S. government, the defense industry, whatever. We have all, we have subsidized our way. I actually wonder if they divert some of these, like, Mars program monies and all this kind of stuff to AI development, because I really am totally suspicious about the whole Mars program, how much it would really cost, oh my gosh, and if they're actually taking that money and using it for AI. But in, even the stuff they're doing above board on the books are clearly, um, you know, we're paying for getting our own jobs eliminated. Just stop doing that. Get out of research. Get out of all research, <laughs> okay? Um, and then Bergen made a good point, which I did hear the strikers saying, the um, UAW auto worker strikers saying that, uh, he said electric cars uh, reduce the need for labor. And that could be the very point of their existence. Because <laughs> I totally think this has all been a huge scam, COVID. One of the big, big purposes of COVID, in addition to raising interest rates and generating inflation, was to eliminate jobs. Eliminate jobs and replace them with tech and have people just wake up one day and be like, oops, <laughs> look what happened. Um, okay, uh, let's just zip into the next one, which is number seven, taxes, inflation, the economy, debt, like just, you know, Numbers, numbers stuff. So Nikki Haley had a great sounding plan. She just blasted it out there. Like she was just, just, she was just ready. She was, she was the, the, the man with the plan. But she attacked SALT deductions, which makes me insane. The state and local taxes, they should be deducted. If they're not deducted, it is double taxation. It's, it is a, an abomination. It's a, it's a crime against math. It is in Euler, even in Harvard, was totally liberal. They taught they were just like no country requires double taxation of like when you even if you work in a different country. This is when you pay your taxes in your state and you cannot deduct them from the federal uh, from your federal taxes. So if your state taxes are fifty percent and your federal taxes are fifty percent, you get zero. <laughs> you know you cannot do it. It cannot work. It's wrong. It's unethical, and it will drive. Those blue states, she's like, it's just a regressive, it's just a blue state wealthy thing. So many things wrong with that. It will drive blue states to, to force their senators and congressmen to bring these, these welfare programs and everything to the federal level. Like, Republicans don't always have the votes to block this stuff. And if the states, the states are willing to do it themselves, keep it there. Let them have their tax money. Let them do as much as they possibly can at the local level. And don't penalize them for keeping it in their own state. It's a terrible idea. And not to mention, these are not rich people. Rich people do not pay income taxes. Let's define rich as just being idle rich. Let's just do that. The people who pay income taxes, and that's what this is. It's income tax. 50, the, the highest 50% earners pay 97% of the income tax. And you know where the cutoff is? It's, I think, $42,000. So, Anyone making $42,000 or less, and I'm sure some people like on that borderline are paying taxes, but they're paying, I think, 2.3% of all of the taxes, the entire lower half. And that upper half, I mean, it's, and those are, they're, they're not out of rich, they're working. They're professionals. They're ones, people who went to school till they were 30, paid their school loans off, and are just, which were not tax deductible, and getting, you know, super tax, it's just not, it's just not cool, <laughs> you know? Push the taxes down to the states, let them have it, but do not penalize them for doing it themselves. But a good point that 
Christie made was that Trump added $7 trillion to the debt, almost $8 trillion, one of the other guys said. And I believe it. And when Trump was elected, and everyone was like, all excited. It's like, that's fine. I'm happy for you. But the proof will be in the pudding. Will you be freer? Will you be richer? Will the government be smaller? I don't know wh- how it's going to happen, what's going to happen, if he's going to dodge the bullet on taking responsibility for it. But I'm telling you, I don't think we're going to be better off. And as the Simpsons predicted, Trump was the one who bankrupted this country. <laughs> Sorry, I know that's harsh. But really, adding $8 trillion to the debt is like pretty serious. Anyway, but Bergam, again, made a good point that subsidies, uh, and I think he was talking about like tech and picking and choosing, distort the free market. He said that if we had a level playing field, we wouldn't really need to have a lot of policies just to get out of the way, which was not his consistent theme, but it was pretty good. Um, And I think he was talking specifically about China. And I have to say, I furnished this house. We were just getting furniture for this house, and it's taking forever. And I found out that even at Restoration Hardware— got this really nice couch. I'm super excited. It's coming from China and it's taking like six months. And that's just amazing to me. And that that's a very heavy thing. We had, I think it's North Carolina, had this huge furniture industry. Like, I wonder what happened to that industry. I mean, I was really shocked to see that the really good quality stuff, because I furnished a house once before when I was married, first married, and it all came from North Carolina. And, um, you know, that's a function of a lot of subsidies that we give. And and transportation subsidies are a big part of that, even if it's just paying for the roads or fighting wars for oil to keep those prices down. But another thing that I heard about and probably need to do a deep dive on is that the U.S. polices the seas, especially the Pacific waters. And that is a huge subsidy to Chinese trade, a huge subsidy. So I'll have to dig into that. But yeah, I thought it was an interesting point. Number eight, let's say healthcare. Bergam again, he says um, the feds introduced uh, or promoted medical tech that actually made things way less efficient. Fewer doctors can see fewer patients because they have to fill out so much of this um, systematized stuff. And I, and I, of course, believe that's part of like extremely intense surveillance, uh, very detailed surveillance on people. That's I, I did hear um, back in the day people saying we need national health care so we can surveil everyone all the time. So he wasn't wrong about that. Uh, Number nine, education. And this is going to flow into number 10, where I have like abortion and culture, because this is education, parents' rights, college debt, but also like transgender kids who um, don't have to, like where the schools don't tell the parents what the kid's up to. And I mean, I think I've read that that is real. I think there are places that are trying to push against it. Um, There are some egregious stories out there. I don't know what the state of it all is right now, but that's the issue these guys are talking about. DeSantis uh, claimed that he enacted a universal school choice and parents' bill of rights in Florida. He also said to make colleges basically responsible for bad debt for their students so that they would redirect their academic focus. And I would say it's simpler than that because all you have to do is cut the subsidies. If the government stopped co-signing for those debts, if stop giving subsidized loans, get allowing you to get loans that you cannot repay, if you had to go to Citibank or Chase, that problem would be solved. That problem would be solved. And you would save tax dollars. You could cut corporate taxes and attract foreign corporations to give more jobs. And those people, when I was growing up, uh, I did tell this story. A few of these stories I have told, but they're relevant. My sister went to school, and I know lots of people who did this, uh, at night, 
and her company paid for it. And if she went and worked for the company in the capacity they needed her to work after she finished her schooling, she didn't have to repay it. And she went from secretary to pharmaceutical chemist, and she was great, (laughs) you know? And nobody had to—there was no college debt issue. There was no—there were no loans at all. All right, uh, Vivek wants faith-based approach to mental health, and I don't think that's a bad idea unless, knowing him, it may zip into conversion therapy where you can convince people who were born homosexual to live a straight life, which I believe does not work. And even if it it were desirable, um, for some people, you know, it's probably not a very useful position to promote if it's going to go in that direction. I really don't know, but I don't know. You know, I just, I feel like this guy's creating an atmosphere of combativeness without necessarily being productive. And that's not yet, but I'm just what to watching out, what to watch out for in this. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'll get hate mail. You can actually email me at Monica Show at gmail.com if you want to uh, correct the record. But you know what? It doesn't have to be hate mail. Just tell me and I'll, I will correct the record on my next show. Um, I agree with him that children should not get uh, physical treatment for, for gender dysphoria without parental consent. Um, I agree with him. Social media is terrible for kids. He said to basically ban some of this stuff, addictive social media, if they're under 16. I think that that would, you know, I, I don't know if I believe in bans, but certainly if there are going to be any laws, like tell YouTube to stop preventing private companies from creating curation tools, you know, that you cannot curate this stuff. It's really maddening. You could not, there are, you know, coalitions for kids' safety and stuff who want to do it themselves, and you cannot do it. So, uh, you know, there's a place between banning and just, you know, allowing anyone who uses the government, you know, built internet, like there are free speech issues that come with using actual things that use public legal protections and stuff. Just make it part of that. Anyway, uh, Christy wants more charter schools, which I am pretty sure is a CFR project. Uh, so I'm not in favor of that, but school choice is good. Of course, the devil's in the details. Anyway, um, Pence said something about a federal ban on ban on some kind of transgender stuff, maybe transgender kid stuff, like what Vivek was talking about. I personally feel like when you do federal bans on stuff that are squarely in the realm of the Tenth Amendment you're asking for a constitutional amendment that counteracts what you just did. So like DACA then or whatever when they had that Defense of Marriage Act and then the Supreme Court ruled that you not only couldn't have that, but you couldn't, no state could ban same-sex marriage or they had to recognize same-sex marriage. I'm worried about that. I'm worried that Roe versus Wade being overturned is just a stepping stone to a constitutional amendment. Like they just passed in California, which just will make your blood run cold. It's just so simple and straightforward and like no bad, like abortion is right. Something like that, like that's it. And when you say something like that in the Constitution, that means you get, it gets paid for. You can't stop it. You, you know, it's not cool. As a matter of fact, I heard a podcast ad. Please tell me if you ever hear an ad like this on any of my shows. I, I'm sick of 
like curating the ads. Like I banned everything I could. I won't have any ads left. And that's how I pay for my producer. I'm not even break even. So I cannot ban any more ads, but I will if this is popping up, which is getting people legal help to get abortions. Like I just, I can't, I cannot. <laughs> Please tell me. Um, all right. So, you know, there's a little fluff from Tim Scott if we want to go under the culture banner. He called for new leadership or something like that on this at the city on the hill. So I had to look that up because I remember somebody telling me once that it was kind of racist, like the city of the hill speech. I guess the person who made the speech. I don't know what, whatever. It was a long time ago. It was 400 years ago. So, uh, but the idea is if you're a shining city on the hill, people will not only look towards you, but they will be able to see your flaws and your weaknesses. So you're under scrutiny and you really have to be on your best behavior. And, you know, I you know, a lot of JFK quoted it, Reagan quoted it. A lot of people do. And he did say it in the same breath sentence as he, or statement as like, America is not a racist country. We have passive slavery, but we're not a racist country. He's been discriminated against, but, you know, he wants unity. And, you know, I like that. I was hoping for some healing with Obama. I mean, I didn't vote for him, but I did not expect him to make it so much worse. Like, that was uncool. <laughs> like Eric Holder, too. Uncool. So there you go. Oh, and it, the last thing that happened was Dana Prino. I think she was serious. I think she wanted an answer. I mean, the way it was handled seemed like a layup for, for DeSantis. So who knows? But she said, nobody here can beat Donald Trump. Certainly not if there's seven of you. If one of you wants to rise to the floor, maybe. So let's start now. Who are you voting off the island? You have a magic marker and a notepad in front of you. Write down a name. And DeSantis said no. That, and I immediately was like, absolutely not. That is absolutely trashy, Dana Perino. And DeSantis said the same thing. He was just like, absolutely not. No, I'm not doing it. And then everybody else was like, yeah, I'm not doing it either. I'm not doing it either. No, I'm not doing it either then. I'm not doing it. And um, But I think Stuart Varney said to Chris Christie, like, I think I saw you write something down. And Chris Christie was like, yeah, I did. I did. I'll tell you. But he did not show us. <laughs> but he said, I'm voting Donald Trump off the island because he's not here. So Donald Duck is off Chris Christie's island. Uh, you know what? I was almost going to make a nasty joke, but I'm not going to because I'm above that. Anyway, today. Uh, but in the end, my takeaway is that, yes, it did seem like a play, uh, but it it's a play that we are actual characters in. Like, we are actual players, not non-players. We're actual players, and we want our characters to survive. We want our storyline to continue. So I think we need to pay attention to what, what soap opera, you know, what the, what the overall plot and storylines are in this soap opera. So let's see how this year unfolds. This election year, the election is a year from, like a year and two months from now. You're year in one month from now, really. Uh, so, yes, um, I did also want to tell you, so I, I always, like, I've really taken a break, so I don't really have a sponsor, but I do love True M Science, and at this point, like, I don't I don't even let them send me stuff. Like, I literally just buy stuff with the Deep Dives promo code, um, and I just love it. And one of the things that I discovered, I bet my man there doesn't even know about this, but, you know, I've talked about this many times. My son struggles with psoriasis, and a couple of really lovely people have sent me really nice homemade gel, uh, lotions and creams, Lanny, Wild Bill and Ash. 
um, that have greatly relieved my son's suffering. But I read that cayenne can actually like reduce the inflammations. So I remembered that my True M Science guy has a sports rub. It's called the Sports Ultra Rub, CBD muscle rub that has cayenne in it. So I started putting it on my son's psoriasis. And even though it totally stings, he begs for it. It was he it's funny because he has Down syndrome. He's like, that seems to be the most effective. And it's it's kind of like <laughs> it just always cracks me up when he says things that are very like uses biggish words. So uh, I I found that to be very effective. So uh, we love that. And I love a lot of things. I think number 81, uh, the oil is good for sleeping. So I just want to give a little shout out to my guy, True Hemp Science, truehempscience.com. And you can use deep dives as a promo code, one word. And um, that's it. I am Monica Perez. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it on social media or share it with someone else you think might enjoy it. If you like the show and you want to help me and promote it, you can subscribe to it, Deep Dives with Monica Perez on your favorite podcasting platform. And if you really want to be a hero and get all these shows commercial-free, you can sign up on iTunes, Deep Dives Premium on iTunes. So just go to Deep Dives with Monica Perez on iTunes, and um, they should be a, a premium option. Just click that. It's five bucks a month. And uh, that plus the commercials is how I how I pay to keep the show produced so well. I'm I'm going for the the sound like I'm licking your ear. So you can that's what you're paying for. <laughs> I can't do that myself. So uh, okay, thanks for listening, guys. Glad to be back. Talk to you soon. <laughs>